I view contracts as just a point of professionalism. So if you have a sound and solid contract, it's going to make me trust you more entering into this relationship. Hey everyone, I'm Emily Reagan, and you've discovered Unicorns Unite. This is a podcast for freelancers, service providers, virtual assistants, and curious listeners who would like to experience the freedom and flexibility of working virtually. We're the magic makers, movers and shakers, and the real people doing the work behind the scenes of online businesses. Welcome to Unicorns Unite. Hey there, it's Emily Reagan. I'm so excited to have you here on the show today. This episode is going to be for the service providers, freelancers, contractors, whatever you want to call us, the virtual assistants, and it's also for the creative entrepreneurs. We are talking about the tax and legal stuff in your business with my friend, Brayden Drake. The tax and legal stuff blocks a lot of freelancers from getting started, and I don't want this to hold you back from offering your services and getting paid. You set up your business once and you kind of forget how to do it. So it's really not my zone of genius. So I brought in the big guns. So I've invited tax lawyer Braden Drake to speak to us about the basics of online business and getting your business legit. This was a Facebook Live we did just a few weeks ago. And I would love to invite you to download Braden's first chapter of his new book, which he does talk about where he talks about LLCs and sole proprietorships. This will get you started and get you a lot of information. Brayden also has a master class going on right now. It starts today and there'll be another one on Friday. So if you're catching this episode later, the master class might be over, but there will still be some good links in the show notes. But his master class is awesome. It's all about setting up cash flow, taxes, and legalities for your business in 2021. Brayden has a program called excuse my language here, unfuck your business. And it helps creatives actually learn the things they need to know to run their business and the steps that lay a solid foundation on which their business can grow. So his masterclass is going to be so helpful. You're going to learn how to pay yourself first as a non-negotiable, how to trim down your monthly expenses, and how to implement a cash flow policy Braden's also going to cover the legal steps and your questions as far as becoming an LLC. And if your LLC is ready to morph into an S-Core and other legal things that should be up to date heading into 2021. So go ahead and check out the show notes. Sign up right away because this masterclass is happening today, Tuesday, November 10th, the day this podcast comes out, and there'll be another one on Friday. All right. So without further ado, let's jump into some legal and tax shit with Braden Drake. everyone. We are live. Sorry, we're a few minutes late. We had some technical problems, but I got Brayden here. Hi, everyone. Hi, I'm so excited to have you on the show because so many freelancers have legal and tax questions and you're going to be their man. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, everyone. So my name is Brayden and I'm the owner of Brayden Drake dot com, Braden Drake LLC. That's my education business. I am a licensed attorney here in the state of California. And I also have my master's degree in tax law, which means I do both law and tax for small business owners. Super fun. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And where are you living right now? San Diego. Yeah. So how did you move into this online space? Like, are you still practicing in like in person or are you all completely online now? 
No, so I do basically no one-on-one work. I still do consultations occasionally. Um, probably going to like double my price on those just <laughs> for fun uh, because I'm really now niched into the online space. So I have a course and I have a membership and that's pretty much my whole business, which is super fun. You asked how I got into the online space. Essentially, my journey was fellow small business friends introduced me to the world of podcasting. I started listening to Jenna Kutcher. On Jenna's episode, I discovered Amy Porterfield, and then I started listening to her. And then Amy, as she does so well with all of us, convinced me that I needed to create an online course. So I did. And now here we are. What is your online course about? You and I haven't really talked about the depth of your offers. So I want to know, tell us more about your course. Okay, interesting. That's funny. I, I always assume that like everyone knows about it, yeah. but um, I don't really promote it when I'm outside a launch. So I guess that would make sense. <laughs> so my signature course is called Unfuck Your Biz. You can see the sign right behind me. Yeah. And same name, same name as my podcast, same name as my book. That's It's kind of like my brand name, even though I'm a personal brand. But my course covers how to save and pay quarterly taxes if and when you need to go from a sole proprietorship to an LLC, from an LLC to an S-Corp, and step-by-step instructions on how to do that. We cover back taxes, business entity mistakes, and how to correct them. And then we also touch on contracts, bookkeeping, 1099s, essentially all the legal and tax setups that you need to do to get your business structure sound. Yes, to get it legit. Yes. Exactly. Legit. Or how, how did we do that? I can't remember from the 90s. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that one. Yeah, I think yeah. it would be like a two and an L. Yeah, too legit to quit. I don't know. So what are okay, so our audience is full of lots of freelancers, virtual assistants. They're just starting their new business. They're transitioning from a talent in person to online. So what are your top questions when it comes to setting up your business from scratch, like for a brand new baby business? Oh, I I have so many. So in my Facebook group, uh, for people to join, they have to tell me a legal or tax question they have. And and we collect all of those on a Trello board. So we actually sort them by topics so that I know what the most frequently asked questions are. And the number one question is, should I be a sole proprietor or an LLC? And then probably the number two question is always around income taxes and paying taxes. Okay. Um, I think that one is more people don't know what the question is they need to be asking. And the question is, do I need to be paying quarterly taxes? And the answer is yes. Yeah. And then also people don't ever really ask if they need to have a contract. I think everyone knows they need to have a contract. Yeah. A lot of people still don't have one. So I wouldn't say that's a common question, but it is a common mistake. Yeah, it is. I see I see that a lot and I am super guilty of not doing contracts. And uh, you know, I usually have longer term, you know, relationships with my clients where it hasn't been a problem. But when I start doing shorter term things and a higher dollar, now that I've been in it a while, I notice that like I have to have that to protect myself because when there's bigger money being exchanged, like you got to you got to be careful. So I want to know, I want to go back a little bit and know like what what made you become a lawyer? Like why did you go why did you go on that track? I you I was always the student in high school that everyone was like, "Oh, you should be a lawyer." And usually, I don't think that's ever a compliment. They basically <laughs> they they usually just telling you that you really like to argue, I think is what that means. Mm-hmm. But 
I was always like not great at math or science. It's funny because now I'm a tax attorney, but the math's actually really easy. But I was always really good at English and writing and public speaking was my favorite. So I always did well in English class and public speaking classes. So in law school, I was a political or in undergrad, I was a political science major. Okay. And it just kind of evolved. I'd always planned on going to law school, but then senior year of college came around and I wasn't really sure. So I didn't get around to applying and taking the LSAT and all that because I just didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. We've all been there and some of us still may be. So I started a master's in public health program because all of my focus in undergrad was on health policy and politics. And then I ended up basically dropping out of that program because I hated it and going to law school to study health law because my goal was to either work for a hospital or to work for a health policy think tank because I'm really interested in boring topics like how people get health insurance and how we pay for that on a federal level. And it turned out I was academically very interested in that. But when it actually came to working, I much prefer to be self-employed. Yeah. So did you do the big firm thing? No. I did. I did internships in law school. And really what ended up happening was I, I got kind of lucky. I would say that I got, I got, I definitely got one of my internships through pure merit. And then my husband is an attorney and he's 10 years older than me. So his best friend worked at a really prestigious law firm in San Diego. Um, So that's kind of how I got my foot in the door there. But essentially in all my internships I had, they were all really good internships. I just felt really guilty the whole time. Because I was there and on paper, it was really good, but I hated the experience. And then I felt guilty about it because I knew that there were, I had competitive law students in my class who were prepared to like shank me to get that job. Yeah. And here you got it and you're miserable. Oh my yeah, basically. But it was, you know, good learning experience because they always say sometimes learning what's not for you is just as valuable as learning the opposite. Yes, that is such good advice for anyone out there in a job that they don't like. Or even if you're a freelancer and you're doing some task for a client that you don't like, that is just as valuable. Helps you yeah. what you want, helps you niche down and get better at that other thing. Yeah, and I, I was lucky that I got those experiences in my first and second year of law school, because then I knew that I really wanted to go out on my own. And that kind of prepared me in my last year and a half of school to get like get ready for that step after the bar exam. Okay, were you in the minority with that kind of, you know, desire or ambition to do your own thing? Or is that common? I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, kind of. They're actually there's a little bit of a stigma um, around going into solo practice straight out of law school. And the reason why is because it's generally a implied that you only really start your own business if you couldn't get a job. It's kind of like your default. Uh, You're like, oh, I I couldn't get a job. So I'm just going to like start my business and get my own clients. For me, though, I'm very, very stubborn. um, And I didn't want. And also, this is just like my own ego talking, right? I didn't want anyone to think that I was a failure. So I intentionally did not apply to any jobs. I was like, I'm not applying to any jobs. I'm going out on my own. It doesn't matter. (laughs) And so did you immediately start working with the online clients or was that like the whole goal of your business or did that like that happen? When did the podcasting piece come into play? It was about a year and a half for two years after when I started my business, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I had basically, I was like, I can do tax. I can do business. I can do 
trusts and estates, like a couple different areas. And then I remember like I had to write a business plan when I started my business because I was in a launch incubator, which is just a fancy way of saying I was in kind of like a cohort of like seven other recent graduates. And we had like a little training program through my school and we all shared an office that was mm-hmm. like the lease was negotiated by the law school. So it was all very fun. But in my business plan, I wrote like, these are the different niches I think I want to work with. And I had creatives, fitness professionals, interior designers, like a few other ones, basically just all the things that I enjoyed. Okay. And I kind of just let things evolve over the first six months to figure out where were my contacts really, where were my interests and what's going to work out the best. Oh, that's interesting. Cause that's kind of how I took my own freelance business and the creatives came to me as well. I found myself working with the bloggers, the DIYers, the furniture painters, and I like I didn't set out with that goal, but like they all found me. And once one or two, the rest of them came like flooding in. And I'm still every day in my inbox getting like job leads for creative. I I think that's an interesting tip for newer business owners as well is don't assume that just because you have a hobby at something that you should serve that hobby as your niche. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a good fit. And to give you an example of that, I, so in law school, I did three full Ironman triathlons. I ran marathons. Like now I'm into CrossFit, but I still do triathlons. And so I thought maybe I'll be a small business attorney and specialize in working with health and fitness industry. And I probably could have done that, but I really like where I am now. Like all of my friends have always been women as a gay man. That's just kind of how it worked out. And now I serve like mostly female creatives and I have a lot of wedding industry clients. And to be honest, I've never really been interesting in wedding, like interested in weddings. My husband and I did not really have a wedding. So even though like weddings are not my passion, I really enjoy the clients that I work with and I like to talk about their industry with them. Yeah. So I think that's an important lesson. It, it, it makes more of a difference who you're going to be working with and specifically what they do. So look into not only the industry, but what kind of people you want to work with and where those type of people are working. So I'm not a painter or a designer or um, I'm like, I want to be a little crafty. You know, I sewed for a little bit, but that's not my world. But I have to say there's a little bit of a drawback attracting the creatives, don't you think? Like there can be a little all over the place, at least from, from my vantage. Yeah, for me, not so much because like, that's my ideal client. Like usually people aren't going to give me money if they already super have their shit together. Yeah, true. true. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I like the creatives though, because I like their product. I believe in their product. I like to help them monetize that. And it's not just another business coach, you know, saying yeah. like, you can do it and, you know, pay me thousands of dollars. It's like, they really have tangible outputs and talent. So I love to help them. But sometimes they have tons of ideas and they're kind of like going in every place. But I feel like maybe your realm is a little bit more like this is the straight and narrow. This is what we're doing. This is what yeah. you need to do. Follow these steps. Yes. Yeah. So, um, okay. So that's interesting. Like, you know, you set off, like, what do you think life would have been like if you were working for the fitness clients? I don't, I don't really know. It's, it's yeah. hard to say because there are niches within niches and yeah. until you're in the niche, you don't really know what the sub niches yeah. are. So on the outside looking in, like just this weekend, for whatever reason, I've been getting YouTube targeted with a lot of like very brotastic personal training ads. So <laughs> cliche, like in my mind, that's what it is. But then also there are a lot of women who have 
like freelance yoga businesses. I was going to say the yogis. (laughs) Yeah, like that could have been my niche as well. But I'm not really like, is granola a slang term? I don't know. But I'm not like, I'm not as woo-woo as a lot of the people in the yoga space either. That's also a stereotype. Yeah. But all of that... All of that kind of stuff does actually play into the niche that you work in, I think. Yeah, it does. And I have seen that with my own students, like attracting some of the crystal energy woo-woo clients and whatnot. So it's kind of, it ha- it happens. And it's always yeah. interesting when it's happening to people. Like sometimes it's opposites attract too. So. Makes sense. So tell everyone about this book you have that, is it out already or is it about to be published? So it's not out. It should be out. Hopefully, I'm hoping on a launch date of October 6th. Okay. Uh, This whole book process has been super expedited. I got the idea in like April, May and hired a book coach intending to release this like next spring. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I mean, you could probably write it in the next six weeks. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) But we ended up doing it. I was like, sure, why not? So I wrote it in July and I basically wrote it in the month of July. And then I had to self-edit it in the month of June. And then basically the way the production process works after that is the book editors got to edit it three times, which takes, you know, a month. And now it's had like the typesetter has it and then it's got to go to an indexer and it's a whole process. So, and then I have to like get it online through Amazon. So I'm hoping it'll be ready, uh, if nothing else, to pre-order on October 6th. But in the meanwhile, I have a free chapter available for everyone to grab so they can get snippets. Oh, okay. So what is the book called? Who does it help? And tell us what the link is. I did put it in the description, but go ahead and tell everybody. Yeah. So the book title is Unfuck Your Biz, A Step-by-Step Guide to Get Your Legal and Tax Shit Legit. It's the same name as my course and my podcast, and it's specifically drafted for mostly service-based creatives. And creative, I know right now is kind of like a loaded term, but I view that as essentially like any, well, I mean, whatever creative means to you, it's subjective, but really it's good, um, obviously for VAs, coaches, consultants. I have a lot of like graphic design and web designers in my programs, and then a lot of wedding professionals, photographers, and It can be good for people that have product-based businesses. I just don't talk specifically about products. So we don't go deep into like sales tax and that kind of stuff. Okay. So that was one of the questions I had, and I would love for you to answer. One of my, a couple of my students have asked about collecting taxes if they have to do that as a freelancer. What's your answer for that? Well, it depends. So there's both income tax and sales tax. People mix these up a lot. Mm-hmm. So income tax, you don't technically collect because that's that's based on your income. It's not based on what you're billing your clients for. So that you need to save and pay quarterly. Everyone's got to pay income taxes to the IRS. Most yeah. of us have to pay them to our state. As far as sales tax goes, that is a consumption tax. So we're all familiar with that. We go to the gas station, we pay sales tax. We buy a new laptop, we pay sales tax. So typically, this is the general rule, but it varies greatly by state. And this is why giving guidance on this is extremely difficult. Right. But generally, most states only charge sales tax on physical, like tangible goods. So products. Some states are the exception and they charge it on services. Some of them kind of differentiate where if you provide a service that results in a good, you have to charge sales tax on that whole scope of work. Others will say only on the physical item. 
And to give you some examples of that, and I don't want to make this super complicated, but <laughs> maybe I will make it complicated to show people how, yeah. how particular it is. But in California, we have specific rules for interior designers on restoration and reupholstery of furniture. So you're reselling a, a sofa to a client, but that sofa is a product. So then they're going to say, they might say that the services that you bill them for to restore that sofa also need to be subject to sales tax. And then there's also different rules for digital products as well. So most states don't charge sales tax on digital products, downloadables, but some do. Do you think that's going to change as we get more and more to the, the e-learning market? I mean, we're already like e-commerce and like, you know, I see the battle with like collecting tax from Amazon and stuff like that. But what about this digital information products as it just explodes more and more? Yeah, everything's kind of a push and pull. So a lot of countries like in Europe have VAT taxes, which do <laughs> charge tax on digital goods. What I found as to be the general rule here in the States is that states with lower income taxes or no income taxes tend to have stricter sales tax rules. Yeah. And states with higher income tax have less strict sales tax rules. And it basically, it makes sense because every state needs a certain amount of money to run. Yeah. So they're all, they're like levies. So they're going to pull different levies to get that income. Like Florida, for example, it's a tourist state. They get a ton of tourists. So they have sales tax. They don't have income tax. Yeah. They know they can rely on their tourism to pay like foot a lot of the tax bill, which that, is great yeah. for the residents. Yeah. And that's where I was a resident last year. However, their property tax is high, you know? So like you said, it like all balances out, but it, it sure was great for my taxes. <laughs> right. And then now um, I had to switch. I just had to switch states now that we moved here to DC, but that's another story. But that's why like a lot of celebrities tend to try to get their permanent residence in the state of Florida. Um, pretty sure President Trump's permanent residence is in Florida, yeah. not New York because of income taxes. Yeah. And then um, Texas doesn't have state income tax as well. So a lot of digital nomads will try to establish permanent residence in Austin, Texas, of course, the most yeah. hipster of cities before they start digital nomading. Okay. Oh, I didn't realize that. So that's where my parents live, honestly. And I would love, I always saw myself living there. But now once I get my like seven figure business going, maybe I'll make it legit. <laughs> And like, go yes, there. we like, oh I love Southern California and I don't think I'll ever want to leave. The weather here is just great when it's not wildfire season, but yeah. I mean, eventually I would love to like hop around, maybe save some income taxes by getting out of California. But my husband is like locked in. He can't ever move for his job until he retires. Okay. Well, you know, South Dakota has no income tax. You could always go there. Yeah. It's a no for me. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm I'm from Indiana. So if I'm ever going to move back to the flyover states, as we call it, it'll either be to Indiana, probably not, or Chicago. All right. That makes sense. Uh, so I was at San Diego for the first time for Amy's conference. And I also went to the copywriting conference right before COVID. And um, I've never been to San, San Diego. I would want to leave if I were you. That's Isn't it beautiful? Yes. So that's how, they, that's how they got me. The law school I went to does this genius thing. And at the time I was like, why are they doing this? So expensive. Now as a business person, I see the ROI on it. Anyone who gets a scholarship, which I went to a private law school and at private institutions, basically everyone gets a scholarship. If you get a scholarship, then they fly you out for a scholar's weekend to visit the school and they pay for your hotel, your flight, your meals um, for like a two day trip. 
And so I was from Indiana. My sister and my grandparents both lived in Florida. So I, in my mind, I always thought California was just like Florida. And then I got here and I was like, there's no humidity. I didn't even know what that felt. I've never felt that in my life. And there's like mountains and hills and it's so different. I loved it. Oh my God. And then won you over. <laughs> yeah. So I was like sold. And now, and then I like way overpaid on tuition just to move here. But <laughs> what it is. Oh my God. You're, well, you're not the only one who's made that mistake. Yeah. I have another question for you about um, going back to the contracts and maybe it goes with your advice on what state you are, but what should you do every time you have as a freelancer, a new client and you're setting up that contract? Do you have to get, you have to pay for a lawyer to look over that or what, like what's the most efficient way to do that? with each? No, so you should just have one solid contract <laughs> and, and ideally it should be, need very, very minor tweaks per client. So you can have an attorney draft your initial contract. You can join my membership and get a template. Technically, it's not open, but if one of your people really want to get their hands on some templates, they can message me. But you get your template up and running. And then really, the only thing you should ever need to change is your scope of services. And ideally, everything should be productized. So do you teach all your people like productized services or what's your system? No, no. Tell everyone what that is. Yeah. Well, generally a productized service is just, um, it's pretty prescriptive, right? So you're not doing a ton of custom quotes. You're like, I offer this, 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 and this for this price. Um, So usually when you have like packages on your website, that's a productized service, or you just do hourly rates. So if you're doing hourly rates, that's super easy because if you get a contract that's already pre-drafted for hourly services, the only thing you need to change is maybe if you decide that you're going to build this client at $30 and this client at $40. You're just going to change that number in your contract. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by my very own GIF and sticker making workshop. Turn your clients' videos into GIFs, design branded stickers for Instagram stories, and master the art of making your own GIF for promo emails. This is fun unicorn magic that we can do behind the scenes easily for our clients. The workshop is one hour, just $17.99. The link is in the show notes or go to emilyreaganpr.com slash GIF workshop. That's G-I-F workshop. Back to the show. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So I have uh, reached out to other uh, lawyer friends in this online space and said, hey, like, can you give me templates for my course? So I have one in my course. It's very bare, you know, minimum, but obviously they need to add to it. But um, their answer is always no. Or they want me to pay gobs of money to put it in the crash course. So I do have one in my crash course. It's probably for sure not as good as yours, but it's um, it's enough to get started and you know add your own stuff too. But like they made it sound like you know the the lawyer the lawyer way out is like please consult your attorney and you know on a case by case basis. And I yeah, we we have to say that basically like for ethical reasons. Um, You know, we have to disclaim everything. I'll give you a template. Message me later. We'll talk about it. Okay. Well, I think, well, thank you. I wasn't like trying to get free stuff out of you, but it just, it frustrates me because I feel like it's got to be an easier process, but yeah, I have, I've seen it backfire where you do have to resort to the contract. Like when things are due, when payment is due, you know, we get these like clients who usually don't mean to, but they don't pay or they're like trying to rush jobs and you know, or they want, what would you do with a client who like demands documentation and that's not in the, the contract? Have you ever heard of that before? Because a lot of us do hourly rates because we're doing all of the things, right? Yeah, I would just tell them no. 
Okay. But also you can, like, if you want, so I always tell people, you don't want to put too many obligations on yourself in a contract, obviously. Right. But if you are like, ideally you should be tracking your time and then you can at least provide your time tracking. Like you don't need to give them like a personal journal or ledger or anything like that, but you can provide them that that's helpful. The other tip I would give people with contracts, and this is mostly with newer business owners. Newer business owners are always hesitant to have contracts because they feel like it's asked, like for whatever reason, it's asking a lot. And what I always tell people is I view contracts as just a point of professionalism. So if you have a sound and solid contract, it's actually going to trust, it's going to make me trust you more entering into this relationship. Because whenever I hire someone in the past couple of people I've hired have not had contracts. I'm like, where's your contract? They said they don't have one. And then the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, like, is this person just kind of playing business? Or are they serious about business? I want to make sure that they have, you know, that they are taking care of me, especially, especially, especially when I'm hiring people to do something that I don't really know, because I want to know that they know what they're doing because I'm not going to be able to give them step-by-step directions. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is genius advice right now for everyone out there watching this, catching the replay, come up with a contract and lead with a contract because you will look smarter and you will look legit and Brayden will trust you. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. It, no, and I totally get that because a lot of our, um, you know, clients are are newer, we're their first hire, they don't know what's happening. They're really depending on us to kind of lead them. We're so more than just a VA. And that step with a contract, you know, to show that would just like put you on the next level. Like, you know. Yeah. And it's also like, you have to think about, and this is something that I've been kind of struggling with. I've hired my first couple of VAs. And then I've also, I hired a Pinterest person to set up my Pinterest account. And there's always this give and take of, are you my contractor and I'm your boss or you're sending me your contract and I'm your client. So like who's telling who what to do. And it kind of depends on what they're being hired for. So like I have a community manager and I have a tech VA. And for those two roles, I consider myself basically to be their boss. They're part of my team on a contract basis. But if I hired like a web designer to build out my website, I'm their client and they are kind of telling me what to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And so I think a contract really helps outline all that kind of stuff and like the deliverables, all these sorts of things. Yeah, there's there's this gray area and this is fun to explore with you because so many of you know the freelancers in my course are much more than a VA and starting off on that it's kind of like where's where's the power <laughs> you know yeah. starting off there is just more professional and i think that would uh just be better for the relationship and then i think it helps with your own mindset because when the client doesn't do what they're saying like so many are slow like they don't get their stuff when you need it like their side of the work isn't happening. And then we're left kind of dangling over here. I think that gives people the power and the mindset to say, done, we're over. <laughs> yeah, you need you need to have all of that in your contract. Like, mm-hmm. for example, I was just talking about this with one of my students the other day. She's a web designer. And in all my graphic design and web design contracts, we have what we call a restart fee which is essentially if your client's non-responsive for a certain period of time, they have to pay you a fee to restart the project. 
Because essentially you're like, I sent you all of your website materials three months ago and you never responded. So I've essentially archived your project because you decided that you weren't going to work on it with me anymore. So if you want to get started again, I got to work you back into my calendar. have to get everything unarchived. And so you're going to have to pay me this $500. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's mentally taxing to switch your context and go back into a project where you had made progress and now you got to start over. So what? I have never heard of that. I'm loving it. Uh, How long should like, how long should that duration be for the startup for the the fizzle out period? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it really depends on your services, right? So if your services are supposed to be like, if your services are supposed to be turned over in a week, then I would only like if they're a full week behind in communicating to you, that's probably sufficient. But if it's a pro like a six month long project, then maybe you want to give them like a month. Yeah. It, yeah. Like it, it depends. Cause I've hired people. Like I just hired my typesetter on Friday for my book and due to my timeline, like I ideally want that back by Wednesday. So that's like a five day project. So if she emails me today and she needs a file from me, she's not going to be able to meet her deadline if I don't get back to her, like ideally within like three to four hours, but hopefully no longer than 12. Um, so I would say if I went and ghosted her for like four days, then she would be like, what the fuck's going on? Like, yeah. She might, she might want to pause the project. And she, and she'll just add to the deadline and not feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. I had a student recently whose client ghosted her over the summer and it turns out she had, you know, stuff happened in her life. Oh, granted, people will always have excuses. And there was a little bit of a like a tiff for lack of better word. But, um, you know, I feel like that at the heart of it is communication. Like if something like that is going to happen. Right. Uh, but now, you know, it, it's weird when there's a retainer and there's expectations and like there's rollover hours and then the rollout over hours die a death because they didn't use them. And then that's kind of what happened. Hopefully you can figure me out. I'm like, so not articulate right now. Yeah, no worries. So that blows my mind. I've never hired someone and not been promptly communicative to them. I'm paying you money. If you need something for me, why would I not respond? So if someone ghosts you, there's absolutely no excuse for that. In my mind, like they can, sure, they can say, well, I had someone in my family pass or I got coronavirus myself. But I, it's still, I'm not <laughs> what? I said I shouldn't laugh. I'm not laughing, but I mean, I mean, you can in, like insert whatever kind of yeah. event could happen there, but it doesn't take more than two minutes to send a three sentence email to say yeah. this, this, and this has happened. I'm going to be out of work for the next two months. We need to put this on pause. Like, how do we proceed with that? Yeah. Like, just take care of it like a grown up. To me, it's like, how do you value this person or not on your team? And when they don't do that, they're like, okay, they don't care. But so funny because my podcast that comes out tomorrow is all about ghosting. So this <laughs> is like a fun conversation to have with you. Nice. Um, so I'm trying to think, does anyone have any other questions for Brayden before he goes on for his, you know, his day helping out Team Porterfield? <laughs> We're both, we are both, you're an ambassador, right? Oh, I actually should have, I should have checked to see if there were more videos before I hopped on here, but that's okay. Oh, are you doing the video ask right now? Um, From eight to nine. And I oh. responded to them all by 830, but I kind of like forgot to check back in on it. Yeah. Sure it's fine. Sometimes you got to let it like pause a little bit. And Yeah. Sorry, yeah. what was your question? Um, 
I don't even know. What was I saying? Oh, does anyone have any questions? I know people are going to catch the replay. So go ahead and type them in the comments and we'll get to it later. But um, yeah, I think, oh, I know from my experience, the first couple years as a freelancer, my clients didn't even send me 1099s. Like, is that normal? Or like entrepreneurs like smarter than that now? Or please tell me times have changed. Yeah, 1099s slip through the cracks a lot. Um it's not like the world's biggest deal, but it is, I mean, you do have to do it. This yeah. is why, um, so I'm actually, I have it on my list for this week. I might wait until next week, but I'm going to be recording an ad spot for Gusto on my podcast. I'm a big fan of them because they automate the 1099s. So you have to pay for it. Um, it's $5 per contractor per month. But what I do, even my VAs, um, and this is also, it's kind of a way for me to say like, I have the power in this relationship, like you're my contractor, I'm going to onboard you through Gusto, which is my payment provider, rather than having you invoice me. And they do, they invoice me, but then I put their payment in Gusto. But when they get the invite to Gusto, they have to fill out their W-9 before they ever get paid. And then Gusto tracks the payments all year, and then it automates the 1099, which makes my life way, way easier. But I don't really know why I went into that spiel. But Highly recommend them. Check them out. But yes, you got you got to send 1099s. Well, your our clients might be asking us as freelancers, like, well, what do I do? And then you can refer that. I think QuickBooks has the same service. I'm pretty sure my QuickBooks like sends it out. Or whenever I work for some, I remember filling out forms for clients too, and they send it through QuickBooks. Yeah. I think. Yeah. What well, I recommend if you if you are going to be the recipient of the 1099s, you should fill out a W nine like in. December. So you can just Google IRS form W9, fill it out. It's one page. It just asks like for your personal info and your social or your EIN and then save it in a Google drive folder, put the link. Um, yeah, put the the link to that somewhere handy. So I have in my Asana account, I have, I call it the blueprint and that's where I keep all my links. So I'll have admin links, Facebook group links, affiliate links, so put your link in there and then anytime you get asked for your W9, you can just copy paste the link and you already oh, have it sure. there. I love that. And my Asana, it says do not delete. Nice. <laughs> that's, what my, that's what mine was called. Okay. I had two more questions for you. Do you do anything with trademarks? I don't, but my very good friend, Kelly Keller does. She is also a Digital Course Academy graduate. She's fantastic. Ooh. And I actually did, um, over the past three weeks, Kelly's done five podcasts on my podcast. So people can go listen to those. Okay. I'm going to have to go listen to that. That's Yeah, I do. Um, I do like series on my podcast. So with Kelly, I basically was like block two and a half hours on your calendar. We're going to record five podcast episodes. Okay. So um, the first one is basically trademark 101. What is a trademark? When do you need a trademark? Who needs a trademark? So I'd go listen to that one um, if anyone has any specific questions. And then if you want to hire an attorney to file your trademark, Kelly can do that for you. She just okay. she filed my trademark for me a few months ago. I might need to take you up on that. And also, this is just helpful for the, the VAs behind the scenes because sometimes you guys are the online business managers and you're kind of steering your clients to the right directions and other sources. It doesn't mean you do it all. Just means no. you can hook them up with the right resources and tools and, you know, like get them, get them on their own way. So my other question for you is GDPR. (laughs) 
I'm not answering it. I'm not answering it, Emily. (laughs) So you just like, like, don't, you just don't cover that at all. Like this. Not really. Um, so quick note back on the trademark though. I do not recommend that people ever DIY that. Um, I'm an attorney and I did not do my own trademark. So that should tell you something. I hired another attorney to do it for me on GDPR. Um, I've kind of, to be very frank with you, I've kind of just intentionally ignored it. (laughs) We got to pick and choose our battles, what we're going to learn about, right? So it's kind of like if you're a tech VA, there might be like one tool out there that you're like, I just don't want to learn that. I'm not going to touch it. That's been me with GDPR. I don't think it's super complicated. I mean, the gist is, is that, um, so if anyone is totally new to this topic, they don't know what we're talking about. It's European Union, right? Or just all of Europe. So Is Britain still in the EU? Does it apply to them? I don't even know. I don't even know. (laughs) But essentially, there's stricter rules for when people opt into your email list. So some of them require double opt-ins. There's different complicated stuff. Yeah. Um, I never learned it for myself because I only serve the US market. So my personal philosophy is just if my website gets blocked in the EU for not meeting GDPR requirements, that's totally fine. I'm okay with it. Those aren't my people. Sorry, Bulgaria and Italy, you're out. <laughs> yeah, but there are there are a lot of great blog posts out there. Um, Bobby's kind of like the GDPR expert, so I usually send people to his website. Yeah, and just so for those of you who don't know, we do cover that in the VA crash course and the email marketing module and like how like a little bit of the legal stuff you have to do with the privacy policy and disclaimers and some of this online stuff that you don't really know what you're walking into if you're brand new, but um, you don't have to be a guru at it. You just need to, usually it requires checking the box (laughs) to enable it's gotten so much better than it was like three years ago. So, and one, like one nuance I will give is, so we both know Bob, Bobby's another attorney, Bobby Klink. He serves online entrepreneurs and I serve service-based entrepreneurs. So that's, there's actually a difference there. So all of my, Obviously, all of my students, they all have websites, right? But the difference is is they're providing one-on-one services. So they're going to send a client service agreement for a one-on-one signature. They also need to have privacy policies if they are building an email list, which they all are. But that's different from an online business owner like you and I. We sell programs like memberships and courses, and we're not going to send a contract to every single student and have them sign it and us countersign it. We have web terms of service instead, which is like, check the box. I agree. And that, um, it's kind of a nuance, but those documents usually have different things in them and they serve different audiences. And so that's kind of like the division line on who I serve. Oh, thanks for explaining that. And I, I have to say with each, I've, I've had to give a couple of refunds for my own courses. I'll be completely honest. And every time I do, like I learn a little bit more, like what should be in those terms? Like how can I be more direct about things? Because people will read things the wrong way sometimes and have weird expectations. So I've gotten better at those. And it's just kind of like this dynamic you know, document that I'm like always updating as like things come to mind that I never would have guessed would have happened. So I can be more clear with future uh, students who buy things like especially digital products because people, people can be funky. (laughs) Yeah, I just gave I just gave a refund last week. So it happens to all of us Like it is what it is. My first one, man, that the first one killed me. Not really. But I was like, Oh, that hurts so much. And then now I'm like, 
Bye. Yeah. Later. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway, I, I had messaged you about, I actually messaged you about that when I was biking around Lake Champlain. That's exactly the person I'm talking about. And you yeah. were, let it go. I was like, done. I'm going to go. Just let it go. Yeah. Well, I, can't my advice. You, I can't thank you enough. And for those of you who want to go more in depth with this stuff, Brayden has a Facebook group. I linked to it here. You can check out his book that's coming out soon and your podcast, which I'm going to be diving into the trademark stuff. Yes, I need to do that. I started to DIY it. So that message was for me. Thank you. Yeah. You know me. You're, you're gonna you're gonna love that. My uh, so Kelly is amazing, and she's actually an adjunct professor at the, the law school like near her house. So she actually teaches trademark law to up and coming attorneys. Which oh, is fantastic. So did I tell you that I took the LSAT and I was you know thinking about law school? Yeah. And uh, as a military wife, I've never lived anywhere longer than oh we did. We were in Miami three years. Like never possible. And now I realize like that wouldn't have been a good fit for me, but. Yeah, no. Super, super random. I actually wrote a blog post a couple years ago called, it was um, Legal and Tax Essentials for Military Spouse Entrepreneurs. That was the title of the blog post. And I never, I have like the world's worst SEO because I've just never really tried. But I actually had someone book a consultation last week. It came automated through my Dubsado account. And she's a military wife in Japan who owns her own business. And she said she found my website through that blog post. Through oh SEO. my gosh. I, should, I could share that blog post for you a zillion places. Okay. Come up with me later. But okay, I, cool. I did want to tell you what my law, my law school, what sparked my law school dream. I was in, I had a business degree. I was working on my business um, bachelor's. It actually was a minor, but I was taking a contract law class and I ended up suing my roommate. <laughs> same semester and um in small claims court and uh because she just like she was psycho but she just bailed and I was like this is fun it's fun when you're right you have the contract and I'm usually like an assertive like you know girl like wallflower type like I'm not quite a doormat but a little bit of a doormat and I was like no (laughs) taking you to court because I don't have money to waste on this you know condo and Small claims claims court is actually great. A lot of people are terrified of it, um, but it's like super casual. Yeah, it was totally, it was totally like a great experience. I mean, it was terrifying, but. Yeah, one of my, um, one of my students is actually going to small claims court tomorrow over a wedding contract that got canceled due to COVID and his company refused to give the deposit back because it's non-refundable. And so I'm really, really excited and interested to hear what the result of that is. I'm probably going to have him on my podcast to talk about it. My gosh, I would love to hear about that. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. He has a pretty big business and he's like very well known in the space. So it'll be interesting to see. Basically, he told me, he told me on our calls it's over like $500, which <laughs> seems kind of silly with how big his business is. He's yeah. like, I want to see if my contract will hold up in court. So I'm excited. <laughs> well, I'm excited too. Yeah. I was like, awesome. Most of the time I tell my students just, I was like, if it's going to cause you a lot of stress and anxiety, like that's not worth the toll it's going to take on your health. So if you, if the money's not going to hurt, you just give it back. But for other people, they're like, no, I'm going to fight it. And I think it's going to be fun. And I'm like, you go for it. <laughs> I'm totally following up with you on that. This is, yeah, you know, my COVID life is pretty boring and this is like fun drama. I want to, which way will it go? I'm sure the contract will hold up. I think I'm going to bet. Yes. Contract. We'll see. So, so, 
Small claims courts, a lot of the time, they they're um, they look more at equitable arguments, which is a fancy way of sometimes saying sometimes they'll deviate from the pure like legal black and white and get into like what's fair and reasonable. And then it gets a little bit more subjective, but it'll be interesting to see what the outcome is. I would just think that if you've already like taken a deposit, you've done some of the work on that side of business, like that's non yeah. Well, I he should he should win because A, the contract should be good. And B, again, circling back, this was a client that essentially ghosted. Like they emailed like two weeks before the wedding, a week before the wedding. And they were like, what's happening? Like there's a global pandemic. And that was shortly after stay at home started. And then people just never responded until like three months later and wanted their money back. So oh, it'll, yeah. be, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Oh, again, ghosting's coming up again. So yes. we could talk about this again later. So, well, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. I'll see you over in the uh, DCA group for both DCA ambassadors and we'll see you over there. Yep. Thank you. All right. Bye, Braden. Bye, everyone. All right. I hope you found Braden so helpful. Please check out the show notes to download that free chapter of his book, all about LLCs and sole proprietorships. And you'll also find links to that masterclass I was talking about. Now, real quick, let me tell you in a nutshell about his program, Unfuck Your Business which is basically the core idea that it's every business owner's responsibility to be the true CEO of their business. And to do so, there's a couple things they must know. As you can imagine, we're talking taxes and finances. Braden's program, UFYB, is perfect for new and experienced business owners. If you feel like you need to make things 100% legit and you're ready to charge more and scale above and beyond six figures, this is for you. And it's also for you if you feel like you're lost and spiraling, maybe you don't have it all together and you know you need to rip off the Band-Aid, protect yourself, get organized, increase your profit, and finally run a legit business. The Unfuck Your Business is a step-by-step group program and course that helps creative, service-based business owners get their legal, tax, and money shit legit. By the end of the program, you'll be able to understand quarterly taxes, the layers of legal protection that you need, know whether you need to be a sole prop, an LLC, S-Core, or some other different legal entity. You'll be able to create a step-by-step action plan for back tax issues and business formation mistakes. You'll be able to do all of this for the new year, which is the best reason ever. You'll also be able to draft a new client contract, draft a new contractor agreement, and create a system to collect those 1099s. So in a nutshell, it's going to help you learn all the things to run your business. So go ahead and sign up for that masterclass, learn more about his program. And then next week, we'll talk a little bit more about contracts in depth. I'll see you then. Bye. If you're ready to learn the digital marketing and social media skills that will get you hired online, head over to vacrashcourse.com where you can learn about my five-week program, the Digital Media VA Crash Course. Small business owners and solopreneurs want to hire someone who gets it and who can help them implement just about everything. They're looking for a magical assistant who does it all. With my comprehensive training, you can get your foot in the door and become the unicorn. Check out vacrashcourse.com.
What, what's happening with my hair? Okay, I think I got it. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. You know. um, whenever we do these videos, the it's when you do it on BeLive, it's mirrored. And that always freaks me out because I'm not used to seeing like this side of my head. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and Pokemon fan. Pokemon. How do I say it? 